in my uh, early teen years, I used to work on a farm for a man named Mr. Wainwright. My buddies and I would go and uh, work on Saturdays. And we discovered Mr. Wainwright never said thank you, and Mr. Wainwright never said good job. Mr. Wainwright always only criticized. My friend Billy once said to Mr. Wainwright one day, Mr. Wainwright, how come you never say thank you? How come you never praise us? We work hard. And he said, it's wrong to praise people. You should never praise anyone. All praise belongs to God. Oh, we didn't know God. We didn't care about that. All we were concerned about is just once in a while, tell us you did a good job. And it just didn't seem right. I didn't know why, but intuitively, never praising anyone just didn't seem right. And I sort of forgot about Mr. Wainwright and about all of that for many years and until I came across a proverb that uh, intrigued me because it was a well-written proverb. Most of them are. They all are. But this one was especially effective. Solomon got this one really right in terms of how Proverbs should work. It's Proverbs 27:21. Simple proverb says, The crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, and a man by his praise. The crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, and a man by his praise. And because no one has said, Amen, I assume you are as clueless about that as most of us are the first time we, we hear it. And that's how Proverbs work. As soon as you ask, what does that mean? The writer of the Proverbs says, I gotcha. It's working. Because Proverbs, many of them, are very difficult. They're riddles. And they're supposed to force us to stop reading and pause and ask that very question. I'm going to give you a brief lesson in reading Proverbs and Old Testament poetry. Uh, the Old Testament is full of poetry. The prophets, much of the prophetic writings is in poetry. And if we don't read it correctly, we miss it. And especially the Proverbs. We get on a roll, we just go proverb after proverb after proverb, and we don't stop and ask, what does this mean? And, and most Proverbs have two lines. Some have three, a few have four, very few have five lines. But the lines work together. And as we rub the two lines of a proverb together, the meaning is in the middle. We, 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 we pull the meaning out. And there are three different types of, of what we call parallelism found in, in Hebrew poetry. Uh, the, the first is, is called either synonymous or actually it's, it's, they're not quite synonymous, they're parallel. Uh, and and that, that approach says that the two lines really say the same thing, but they say it a little bit differently. Uh, for instance, uh, I have illustrations of those here if I get my notes out. Yeah, here they are. Uh, Proverbs 16:16. 16, 16, How much better it is to get wisdom than gold. That's the first line. How much better it is to get wisdom than gold. The second line, and to get understanding, is to be chosen above silver. 
So it's really saying the same thing in two different ways. So the, 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 the writer of the Proverbs is, is repeating his thought, but in a little bit different way. He nuanced it a little bit differently so that as you pull the two lines together, a richer meaning comes out of both lines. But essentially, the, mean, the, the, the message in both lines is pretty much the same. And then we have what's called antithetical uh, parallelism. And you recognize that the word but. Here's an illustration. A prudent man sees evil and hides himself, but the naive proceed and pay the penalty. So the first line says a smart person, a, a prudent person, sees danger. Now, that's a, not a good place for me to go. That's not a good way for me to think and turns aside. The naive person sees the danger and just keeps going. So the two lines by contrasting give us a, a good lesson. A third type is, is uh, a synthetic, uh, where the, the, the second line finishes the first line. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Okay, so it's, it's a protasis apotasis. The first line sets up a theme. The second line completes the theme. So as you're reading the Proverbs, think, what's, how do these two lines relate? And as you think about that and pray about that and meditate on that, you'll find that the, the meaning emerges from the psalm. And the, the proverb or the psalm. And the proverb we look at this morning is that third type, the, uh, the, the, the synthetic. The first line says the crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, as the crucible, the, the crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, so a man by his praise. And so you say, well, I, I don't get it. So you have to stop and think a little bit. Look at the first line. Play with the first line a little bit. The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold. So you always, with a proverb, you ask, what is the meaning of each line? What is, the, what is he setting up? What picture is he painting in your mind? The crucible for silver, the furnace for gold. You think about that for a bit. And you say, well, there's a relationship here somehow between a crucible and silver, and between a furnace and gold. What does a crucible have to do with silver, and what does a furnace have to do with gold? And you think about that, and you say, well, they purify it. They, they, they cook out what you don't want. They, and they separate the, 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 the valuable from the worthless, the slag, the lead, the stuff you don't want. And, and as you put that in the furnace, the, 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 the silver rises to the top, the gold rises to the top. And then you take that and you refine it more and you get the most precious gold. So, so the, the, what the silver, what the crucible does for silver and the furnace does for gold is it value, it, it separates what you don't want from what you do. And it purifies it. It refines it. It makes it better. So the first line sets up there's a refining process going on here. And then the second line, and so a man or a woman by her praise. So what's he saying? What he's saying is the way the crucible acts on silver and the furnace acts on gold is the way praise acts on you. And you say, well, okay, I get it, but, but, but is he talking about the praise I receive or 
is he talking about the praise I give? The answer is yes. Yes. Now, he doesn't spell that out. In some, many translations, actually, they don't just translate the thing. They try to interpret it for us. And you'll read in, in a number of translations, the crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, and a man by the praise he receives. Yeah, but that's not what the text says. And, and Solomon, the, the, the device Solomon is using is he wants us to think about the fact that, that praise in general, refines us. So this morning I want to take the first option. And he leaves that open to us. By not defining it, he says, I want you to, to think about how this proverb works in either way. So how does praise we receive make us better people? How does, when somebody compliments you or somebody says, good job, How does that act on you or me in the same way that the crucible acts on silver and the furnace acts on gold? Well, I think there are three ways. And now you go to the scriptures, you go to other passages of scripture. So as you're working with these, this, this proverb, you say, well, that the answer isn't immediate to me. So I'm going to have to think about this. I'm going to have to meditate on this. I'm going to ask, where else in the Bible do I read about praise or compliments or, 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 or things like that? And so as you think, certain things begin to come to your mind. And the more you do this, the more you practice with this, the better you, you get at it. So one of the first things we, we, we discover as we think about this, this proverb that saying that praise refines us, praise makes us better people. And one of the ways... Uh, praise we receive refines us is that it helps us identify how we can best contribute to our world. How can I best make a difference? How do I figure out what God has given me to do to contribute to the church, to contribute to my culture, to contribute to my children, to my neighbors, to the people I interact with? Has God given me any particular ways I can do that? Well, in Romans 12, 1 to 3, the Apostle Paul tells us not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the power of God, to be growing in our life. He says that is how, and it literally says, that you may discern what the will of God is. And then he says, let no one think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. Because God has given to each of us a measure of faith. And then Paul lists the spiritual gifts. So he says, first of all, commit yourself to being the person God wants you to be. Don't be squeezed into the world's mold as as uh, J.B. Phillips' translation says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be squeezed into God's mold. Be transformed by renewing the way you think about things, and especially this is the way you think about yourself. Now, as you're thinking about yourself, good caution, don't think more highly of yourself, and the little word there is the word they. Don't think more highly of yourself than it is necessary to think. But do think. 
so that you have sound judgment about yourself. What am I good at? What is God's will for me to, to, to make a contribution, to be part of the body of Christ? Because God has given to each of us, he says, a measure of faith is the word the language uses. And then he lists all these spiritual gifts. How do I discover my spiritual gift? How do I know how God is a uniquely equipped, well, not uniquely, but specifically uh, equipped me <clears throat> to make an impact on the world, to help other people? Well, we try various things. Sometimes <laughs> people say, that's not your gift. And I, I, at one time I, was, I heard Chuck Swindoll at the end of a, ser of a sermon. He started singing a song. And he's got a great voice. I thought, that was powerful. I thought, I'll try that. And I did. And we went to dinner after church, as we did with our boys. And another family was with us. And we're talking, <laughs> talking about the, the service. And, and Jeanette said, uh, why did you sing at the end and both boys said dad you ever do that again we're never coming to church <laughs> singing is not my spiritual gift tom thank you for carrying that load you discover what you shouldn't do but at an early time after, shortly after I became a christian i started sharing the bible teaching and talking with people about the bible and i would get praise for that people say hey, you're pretty good at that that's something you ought to think about doing. And so, yeah, and, and, and here I am, this old geezer, still doing it. Why? How did I discover that? Listening to people. Praise helped me refine. Where has God allowed me to make a contribution? And I look at every single one of you who belong to our Lord Jesus Christ because you have accepted him as your Savior and your Lord. And if I'm reading scripture correctly, it's saying each one of us has a particular way that God says, I have created you to make a difference. I have given you a capacity to contribute. And one of the ways you find that out is by experimenting, by trying things, and listening to feedback. <laughs> Listen carefully to both kinds. And so as we, we want to be the people God has created us to be and to make a contribution, he said, don't think more highly of yourself than it is necessary to think, but do think because God has given you a capacity. And part of that thinking process is listening to how people compliment you and praise you. So not only does praise help us figure out how we can best contribute to our world, but praise also helps identify, uh, purify us and refine us because it shows us how we can bring praise to God. Not only does it show us how we can contribute, but as we contribute, God is praised. Yesterday, we had a wonderful service for Den Denning, and God was, if anything, more praised than Den was. Because Den's life led people to know and love and appreciate and praise Den's God. Is there a higher privilege that any human being can ever experience than having someone say, I praise God because of you?
Jesus said, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. Thank you for praying that, Floyd, this morning. Matthew 5, 16. That people would see your good works. And yes, praise you and appreciate you, but say, oh God, thank you. Thank you for this person. There was a guy named Carl Boberg back in 1886, a Swedish pastor. He wrote a hymn, How Great Thou Art. We sang it yesterday. Second verse, uh, pardon me, the first verse, O oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. I was deeply moved singing that yesterday. I suspect many others were too. But there was a time when somebody said to Carl Boberg back in 1800s, you've got a gift for writing poetry. You should pursue that. Here's a guy all those years ago wrote that hymn. And then somebody came to a young man named George Beverly Shea and said, Bev, you've got a wonderful voice. You ever consider singing? He teamed up with Billy Graham, and his theme song was How Great Thou Art. And how many thousands and thousands of people have stood with tears in their eyes say, How great thou art. How great thou art. Because somebody told a guy he had a gift for writing poetry. And someone praised another guy for having a beautiful voice. And God was praised. Or Billy Graham said, hey, young guy, you ought to preach. You gotta, you're good at that. And again, the thousands of people coming forward in these stadiums. One of my mentors, a guy named Howie Hendricks, you've heard me speak of him often, great impact. Uh, people called him Prof. Chuck Swindoll was, calls him Prof. One of his favorite professors. And so on his 60th birthday, Dallas Seminary had a a uh, party, a uh, this is your life party for Howie. And the, literally this huge ballroom was filled with people there to honor him at this dinner. A few of us didn't get to eat at the dinner out there, but we were the speakers and we were in the back. We had our own little dining room because we were asked to, to speak. And uh, uh, Tom Landry, Tom and Alicia Landry were there. He was, Howie was the Dallas Cowboys chaplain for a number of years. So Tom Landry was there to speak on that, and I was there as his, represent his uh, years as a professor and one of his uh, students that he liked. So we were back there, and, and, and uh, Tom and Alicia Landry and Jeanette and I were at this table uh, eating our dinner back there, and this old guy came shuffling along kind of like this, and he was all alone, and he looked kind of lost, and so uh, he looked over, and he saw Tom Landry, and he just, one of these, you know. And so Jeanette got up and went over and introduced herself and shook his hand and asked him to join us and asked his name, and his name was Phil. 
And so Tom Landry said, Phil, what's your relationship with Howie? And he said, when Howie was a boy, he was playing uh, stickball on the streets of Philadelphia. And I was teaching a Sunday school class uh, for boys at a little church there in the, his neighborhood in Philly. And I used to go out on Saturdays and look for boys and invite them to come into my Sunday school class. And, and uh, how he came. And he accepted Jesus. And he felt God's call on his life. And he became a world-renowned, incredible communicator of the scriptures. And uh, he came to Christ through a little old guy, construction worker, named Phil. Nobody knows Phil. He's not Billy Graham. He's not George Beverly Shea. But how many people have praised God because of the ministry of Howie Hendricks? Somebody complimented him and said, you have a gift. And his gift brought enormous praise to God. And it all started with a guy who probably got very little praise himself. But he used what he had and brought much glory to God. And third, in addition to helping us define how we can make a contribution to the world and identifying how we can praise God, praise encourages us to do what elicits favorable praise. Praise encourages us to do good things. I like to be praised, and so do you. Most of you, I would guess. Am I right there? It's kind of nice when people say you're doing good things. Praise we receive refines us because it encourages us to do what brings praise. We enjoy hearing that we're doing something good and we're doing it well. And it's helping people. And we enjoy that feedback. You say, well, really, it's okay to enjoy that? Yeah. Proverbs 3, 3 and 4 says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Why? Because then you will find favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Why should you let love and faithfulness never leave you? Because people will appreciate you for that. God will appreciate you for that. And that's a good thing. Proverbs 12, 8 says, A person is praised according to their prudence. Prudence. I looked that word up. Sakel. It means street smarts. It's just practical application of wisdom. A person is praised according to their smarts. According to the wise way they live their life. Romans 14, 13 says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. When people praise me for something, I want to do it again. Don't you? Yeah. 
So encourage one another. Praise one another. Because you encourage that person to repeat that good thing they do. Now, if someone never gets praised for doing anything good, they've got another problem. Because God has created us for good works. By grace we are saved through faith, not by works. But God saved us to do good works. Because those good works help other people. And those good works bring praise to God. And those good works encourage us. And they encourage us to refine, to perfect, to keep working at those gifts. This thing of teaching and preaching, I've got a book on my desk now about how to be a better preacher. I want to do it the best I can because I want to help people the best I can. I want to do that because it's a stewardship that God has given me. Somebody says, hey, you've retired three times. They keep dragging you back in. Why do you keep doing it? Because this thing God gave me is not mine. And this thing God gave you is not yours. It's his. Why does Andrew work so hard? I mean, he's one of the busiest guys I know. But you go to his class over there and you see the research he does, the hours he must spend on that, each lesson, and now he's recording it. Why does he do that? Because he likes it when you say, good job. He's nodding his head. Yeah. And he does it because God has given it to him to do. And he does it because when we walk out of there, we say, wow, praise God. I understand that. I didn't understand it before. So if you say, well, you know, I hear other people being praised, but nobody ever praises me, then find out something to do to get praised. <laughs> get it in gear. Because I can tell you, if you are never hearing anybody express appreciation, you are not fulfilling God's will for your life. You say, that's kind of harsh. Yeah. It's also kind of true. God created you for good works. We have the privilege of making a positive contribution to our world that has eternal consequences. I'm sorry, Mr. Wainwright, but you were wrong. <laughs> it is good to praise people. To hear somebody say, my life is so much better because of you. Isn't that a lovely thing to hear? Thank you for what you just did. You helped me grow. You helped me feel better about myself. You helped me be a better person. God is using you in my life. I don't believe there is a Christian alive who shouldn't sometime hear that in some way or another, that God is using you to make a difference. And someone appreciates it. We also have the honor of bringing praise to God by our life. As we heard yesterday, person after person said, I praise God because of Dan Denning. Is there a higher compliment?
what you just did so exalted God that I praise him because of you. And we have the, the ego satisfaction from praise that we're doing something good and doing it well. One Monday, Prof Howie came into the office. I, I, I was, he asked me to stay on, be on the faculty with him. So we used to office next to each other and, and got pretty close. And he came in one Monday and he just looked exhausted. And I said, Howie, what in the world? You look like you're ready to die. And he said, man, it was a tough weekend talking about the flights canceled and you, know, you all know that drill. And I said, why do you keep doing this? And he said, well, God's called me to it. And I said, yeah, yeah. And he said, you know what? I also do it for the ego satisfaction. So I don't tell everybody this. But I love it when people tell me I'm good. <laughs> and that's why I work so hard at it. Yes, it glorifies God. Yes, it makes a difference. But I also just like to be praised. That's a good, honest, godly man. And if you hear it a few times, you kind of get right, Tom. You, you like that praise. So there's an enormous, it helps you. It helps me. Now, I know when I'm in the glorification of the worm ceremony back there, everybody goes, my nice servant, Pastor. And I appreciate that. Uh, and it feels good. Thank you. It helps me go home Sunday afternoon and start thinking about next Sunday. Because I want to do a good job for you. And I want to hear that it's working. So I know we're going to get a lot of it this afternoon and all that. But this, and I'm not saying it for that reason. I'm just trying to help you understand that if you're not experiencing the joy of knowing that God is using you and people are appreciating what God is doing through you, you're missing a tremendous blessing. And then praise sharpens our focus and increases our passion to do what God has gifted us to do. Do you remember the movie uh, Chariots of Fire? And Eric Little, and that statement he made, I feel God when I run. Isn't that a beautiful line? That's why he trained so hard. That's why he ran so hard. Because he sensed that he was being and doing what God had created him for when he ran. That's what I'm feeling right now. This is what God has put me on earth to do. What's yours? What has God specifically given you to do that will help you make a difference in our world, make a difference in the people around you where people say, thank you. I'm a better person because of you. What has God given you specifically to do where when you do it, people say, I thank God, praise God for you and what you just did. Doesn't have to be a big thing. Doesn't have to get up here. Doesn't have to lead the music. 
can be a note that you wrote praising someone else. It can be opening a door for somebody. Some, just a simple thing. It can be being there for somebody. Listening to somebody as they pour out their heart. The Stephen ministry thing is just, wow. Grief share. We're going to hear next week about a couple of guys who got into grief share. And, and, and just met in our little library over there and, and talked about their grief. And it changed their life. And is changing their life. And most people don't even know what's going on over there. But it is. Praying for someone. Our folks who stand down here, you come and you just pray with somebody. So many ways we can make a difference and we can bring glory to God by doing what God has given us to do. And when we do it, we say, I feel God when I'm doing it. So let your light so shine before others that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's what we want Palm Desert Community Presbyterian Church to be all about. I want everybody who walks in that door and walks out to say, I go to Palm Desert Community Presbyterian Church for a specific reason. I go to grow. I go to grow. To discover what God has put me on earth to do. Why did God create me? And how can I develop that and sharpen it and use it? That's what we're all about here, folks. Bringing people into relationship with Christ and creating a climate where they can grow and be everything God created them to be. And praising each other is a big part of that. So let's do it.